right. Good morning and welcome to Chanel. We are so glad that you're here with us today for joining us online. Um, let me go back. If you're joining us online, we're glad that you're here as well. Now this morning, I'm starting a new series called Fine Print. And the reason I'm, I'm wanting to do that is to kind of look at some of the passages that maybe we remove out of context and add a fuller meaning to those passages. Because if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes we don't always read the entirety of something. So, for example, several years ago, when uh, the Kittingers bought our first house in Little Rock, our only house in Little Rock, um, we went to the, you know, you went to go sign the, the mortgage or whatever, and I sat down, went to the building right by the Park Plaza Mall, went all the way up to the 12th floor, sat at this humongous, beautiful oak table, sat down, and they put in front of me probably the largest collection of papers I'd ever seen in my life. And my realtor, realizing that my knees were shaking a little bit, was just like, hey, we're going to put this on a flash drive. You just sign everything that we tell you to sign, and you can read it later on. Now, I should have said, you know what, I'm going to read every line of this document right here. But I didn't. I signed it. And I've never opened that flash drive. Because um, <laughs> we do that, right? How many times have we opened or re-updated our Apple devices or Android devices, whatever you use, you get that terms and service agreement where it says read this whole thing and then scroll at the bottom and click accept. What do we do? We scroll all the way to the bottom and we push accept. Now when we do that, sometimes we miss beautiful nuggets that those companies have hidden within those documents. I've known one person in my entire life who claims to have read all the Apple terms and service agreements. He's crazy. I mean, he's, I don't know, worry about the guy a lot. <clears throat> But I've only known one person that does it, but I found a couple of examples of things that are hidden within the fine print. So, for example, if you agree to the iTunes licensing agreement, they have this included in that document. It says, you also agree that you will not use these products for any purposes prohibited by the United States law, including without limitation, the development, design, manufacture, or production of nuclear, missile, or chemical, or biological weapons. That's right. That iPhone that you've got in your hands, when you sign, accept with that terms and service, can't build a nuclear bomb. Sorry. Can't do it. They're going to sue you if you do. And that Taylor Swift album that you bought, that's in this too. It's kind of fun when you look at some of these terms and services. But this one isn't my favorite because Amazon has actually included something in their terms and service that I think is greater than this. In uh, section 57.10, Amazon has this. However, this restriction will not apply in the event of the occurrence certified by the United States Center for Disease Control or successor body. You know, things are bad when we're already putting that in there. <clears throat> of a widespread viral infection transmitted via bites or contact with bodily fluids that causes human corpses to reanimate and seek to consume living human flesh. Some of you are listening, not reading. Thank you. Uh, human flesh, blood, brain, or nerve tissue and is likely to result in the fall of organized civilization. So guess what? <clears throat> if the zombie apocalypse happens, you're not getting your package and you can use their devices however you'd like. Again, this is in the terms and services of one of Amazon's products. I love these things when you really get in there and you look at what's in the fine print. But as Christians, what we do a lot of times is something called proof texting, 
where we find a particular verse that we like. And it maybe it resonates with us for whatever season or circumstance that we find ourselves in. And we take that verse and we remove it out of its context. And often what we do is we, we put it on a mug, maybe we put it on our Instagram account, in our bio, and we do this a lot. I'm not making fun, I'm just saying that's kind of what we do. It's called proof texting. And so we, we do that with a lot of verses, because some of these verses mean something to us for whatever reason. But what I want to do over the next few weeks is not make fun of that. I'm not ever going to destroy your favorite verses. If you're worried about that, that's not what we're doing here. But what I'm seeking to do by looking at these individual verses in their full context is hopefully adding a richer and fuller meaning to these passages. And so this morning, I'm going to start off with Jeremiah 29, 11, uh, a favorite verse of a lot of us. Uh, I was actually told by somebody this week, please do not start with Jeremiah 29, 11. It's my favorite verse. And I said, uh, unfortunately, that's where we're starting this week. <clears throat> so we start here in Jeremiah 29, 11. Where the prophet Jeremiah writes, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. I mean, this already has like graduation card written on it, right? If we, if we remove it from its context, it does. It has that individualistic, of like, that individualistic feeling of like things are going to be good for me. God has a design for my life. God has plans for me to prosper. He has hope for me, a future. Like on its own, by itself, it is a wonderful verse. And I can see where the encouragement, the fulfillment, that, that need that we are looking for in whatever season we may find ourselves in where we connect with that verse, I can see why this verse resonates. But what I want to do this morning is apply the whole context of Jeremiah. Because when we, when we apply the whole reason that this verse even comes to the forefront, why this verse matters, I promise you this verse has so much more meaning when you understand the whole context of it. And so we have to start with, who was Jeremiah? Jeremiah is a prophet that, is how, that lives during the exile of Jerusalem, Babylon specifically. <clears throat> and in, verse, uh, in chapter 36, verse 4, we kind of figure out where we're starting. The starting point is actually the ending point. Because the book of Jeremiah reads like an anthology, which is a collection of stories pieced together with uh, prophecies and stuff like that, meaning that somebody after Jeremiah has probably put these together in the order that we have them. And we learn about that in verse 4. So Jeremiah called Baruch, and while Jeremiah dedicated all the words the Lord had spoken to him, Baruch wrote them on a scroll. So the story begins, like how we get this collection of texts is that God tells Jeremiah, I want you to write down all of your sermons. I want you to write down all of your prophecies and put them in a collection. And he turns to Baruch and he says, I'm going to just say them and then you write them down. And that's how we have this book. But Jeremiah 1 begins in a very similar way with the verse that we had in Jeremiah 29.11. The word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. Again, this is beautiful in a nursery, right? Like, we, we do this a lot with text. Often if you see this verse in a nursery, the person's not including, I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, right? We're, we're already kind of chopping off a little bit of it to make it fit to what we want it to fit. But before I knew you in the womb, <clears throat> before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations, and Jeremiah responds, Alas, sovereign Lord, I do not know how to speak. I am too young. 
But the Lord said to me, do not say I am too young. You must go to everyone I send to you and say whatever I command you. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you and will rescue you, declares the Lord. And it continues here, verse 10. See, today I appoint you over nations and kingdoms to uproot and tear down, to destroy and overthrow, to build and to plant. When we remove these verses out of context, even the before I knew you, I formed you, we often skip over what Jeremiah's purpose is. Jeremiah, God has placed Jeremiah at this point in history to tell the Israelites that God is about to deliver them into the hands of the Babylonians because of the way that they have lived, because of the way they have turned their backs on God. They are not just turning their backs on God, but they are serving these other gods and doing these despicable things. And so Jeremiah starts to write what God is telling him. In chapter 3 of Jeremiah, God describes the relationship between the Israelites and God to that of an unfaithful spouse. Jeremiah writes in verse 20, But like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. These passages are not like very, you're not going to put this one on the mug, right? Like these are not all passages that lean into this like one-off where we can feel like, oh, this one's good. Because Jeremiah is telling hard truths to the Israelites. They have disobeyed God. They have turned their back on God. And now God is <clears throat> turning his attention to show them what they have done. And it doesn't just continue, or just stop here in chapter 3. In chapter 7, the Israelites have, are caught doing these despicable things. This is one of the instances in Israelite history where child sacrifice is occurring. They are following the examples of the people that they are around. And so in chapter 7, starting in verse 5, Jeremiah says, If you really change your ways and your actions and deal with each other justly, if you do not oppress the foreigner, the fatherless, or the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, and if you do not follow other gods to your own harm, then I will let you live in this place, in the land I gave your ancestors forever and ever. But look, you are trusting in deceptive words that are worthless. See, one of the things that the Israelites were doing in chapter 7 that broke God was that they were doing all of these despicable things, you know, like Monday through Saturday. They were living these unjust lives, following the ways of the other gods. And then when church day came, they were just like, oh, we got our, our church clothes on. Everything is good. And God is using Jeremiah to call them out on that. But it all comes to the forefront here in chapter 25, when God again uses imagery, this time of wine, to talk about what's going to happen to the Israelites. In chapter 25, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, said to me. Take from my hand this cup filled with wine of my wrath and make all the nations to whom I send you drink it. When they drink it, they will stagger and go mad because of the sword I will send among them. So in 25, God says, I am going to hand you over to the Babylonians. You've disappointed me. You've disgusted me. You're, you're turning your back to who I created you to be. You're following their ways, their truths. You're who they want you to be. And because of that, like a cup of wine, I'm going to hand you over to them. This is a painful book about God's frustration with the Israelites because they've turned their back on who God created them to be. But unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. 
Because instead of hearing all of these prophecies from Jeremiah, instead of recognizing that their ways are wrong, what they start doing is looking for quick fixes. They start putting duct tape on their problems, right? There's still water gushing out of the pipes, and they're like, what if we figured something out to do that's like a quick fix? And that quick fix is is right here in chapter 28, because there's a prophet, Hananiah, that comes. And the text says that Hananiah took the yoke off the neck of the prophet Jeremiah and broke it. Like, this is preacher imagery 101. The crowd would have been in the palm of Hananiah's hand when he broke that yoke off of Jeremiah. And he said before all the people, this is what the Lord says. In the, na- in the same way, I will break the yoke of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, off the neck of all the nations within two years. At this point, the prophet Jeremiah went on his way. When I was looking at this text and studying kind of the, the story of Hananiah, I kept thinking about when we go on long trips with our kids. If you ever, like, maybe taking your kids to Florida, like, you don't just get in the car and go to Florida. Like, there's preparation, there's planning, you're, you're doing all of that stuff. That, you know, then the, the week before, you take it to the, the car wash and you clean out all the Cheerios for the first time in forever. Like, you're doing all of the stuff to get ready. And then when you finally get in the car, like our kids do this, we get on Cantrell Road, they see that Chick-fil-A, they're at every other day, and they'll say, are we there yet? You're like, how do you possibly think that we're there? We go to this restaurant on a daily basis. But the Israelites are looking for these quick fixes. They want the journey to be over with. And Hananiah comes to them and says, all right, if you want it to be over with, I'm going to break this thing off of Jeremiah's neck and tell you that God is going to deliver you in two years. But look what happens to Hananiah. Then the prophet Jeremiah said to Hananiah, the prophet, Listen, Hananiah, the Lord has not sent you, yet you have persuaded this nation to trust in lies. Therefore, this is what the Lord says, I'm about to remove you from the face of the earth. This very year you are going to die because you have preached the rebellion against the Lord. It's a weird story with a lot of pain and frustration. You can feel God's anger and disappointment chapter after chapter. And you can also see the shortcomings of the Israelites, where every time they get to do a shortcut, they take it. Every time that they have a chance to follow another God or serve another God or practice the way the other God commands of them, they do it. And that sets us up for chapter 29. The chapter with the verse that we started in, Jeremiah 29, 11. And so what I want to do again is, is take a step back, not just look at verse 11, but look at how 29 begins. Because 29 begins with this. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. These opening verses remind me of something that a Catholic priest said. St. Francis de Sales. He is the individual that is kind of known for coming up with the phrase, bloom where you're planted. His true charity, truly charity has no limit. For the love of God has been poured into our hearts by His Spirit dwelling in each one of us, calling us to live a life of devotion and inviting us to bloom in the garden where He has planted 
and directing us to radiate the beauty and spread the fragrance of his providence. The Israelites don't want to do that. They don't want to bloom where they're planted. They, they want to be redeemed right now. They want all of the problems that they have created to be fixed right now. They don't want to go through the exile. They don't want to experience any of the, the hardships of the Babylonians. They just want God to fix their problems right now. But look at what God tells them in Jeremiah 29, verses 5 and 6. I said, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. God is telling them to bloom where they are planted. You have made this mess. You have found yourself in this situation. Now you have to make the best of it. Jeremiah continues, also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. And this is where we get the focal point of our text. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. This is the one that we don't like to include, especially when we're looking at Jeremiah 29, 11. Because the verse before 11 is God saying, you are going to endure 70 years of exile. 70 years of hardship. And it makes sense that God has said, you're going to be there for a while, so you better bloom where you're planted. It's going to be hard, but you can come out of this. If you focus on God, if you commit to God's teachings, if the, the, the teachings of God shape who you are, who you raise, how you live, those around you, you will come out of this. So when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. God is telling this to people who don't think that they have a future. They don't see a way out of the exile that they are about to face. Have you ever been in those seasons? Where like, you're like, God, this is painful. This is hard. God, I don't like this. That is what this text is. It is a text of hope and deliverance for a people who at this point in their journey did not have one. And it's also a beautiful reminder that God has not abandoned them. That there is nothing that these individuals can do. There's nothing that you can do where God will abandon you. Because even though they find themselves in this situation, God is saying, I have plans for you. Plans to prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. And he continues, then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. We've talked about this idea of God turning God's focus on individuals. That when they call on God, God turns his attention to them. 
That means a lot to the, end of the Israelites in this context. Because okay, they feel abandoned, they feel alone. But when God is saying, you have my entire focus, you have my entire attention, man, that hits them hard. They feel seen. They feel appreciated. They feel loved. It continues, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all of your heart, so I will be found by you. And will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you. And I will bring you back from the place from which I've carried you into exile. Friends, this is a passage of hope. It's easy to look at this passage when we remove it from its context and apply personal application. I, I promise you that is okay. But if you don't read the whole story, and if you don't see the whole journey, you miss what God is telling these people. I've not forgotten you. I've not abandoned you. We may be on a difficult and, and challenging season, but I am your God and you are my people. We will get through this together. And the beautiful thing is, is that Jeremiah continues on with this same rhetoric. In, verse, in chapter 33, verse 33, 30, chapter 31, verse 33, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my name, my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Think about where this whole text has come from. A people who have rejected God, who have denied the teachings of God, who have disobeyed God year after year after year, and yet God, the God who has created them, the God who will restore them, and the God who redeems them, has not given up on them. And so when we find ourselves looking in a verse like Jeremiah 29:11, it reads, "For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you." plans to give you hope and a future. When we read this passage in its full context, something changes with it. Because it's not just about God making sure that I'm comfortable. It's about God giving me reassurance that I will be delivered regardless of what situation I may find myself in. That God will see the light at the end of the tunnel of whatever difficult or challenging season that I'm in. That no matter what I do or what we do, God will not give up on us. That God still hopes and God still restores and God still delivers us. Let's stand and sing together.